My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of David on the lips of David's greater son. Words spoken in mortal anguish. Words spoken after three hours on a Roman instrument of terminal torture. Words that somehow we have to connect with the opening words of our gospel. As the Father has loved me. Words spoken perhaps only 18 hours earlier. And these words pose an even greater challenge when they're applied to us. And Jesus does precisely that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. These things I command you, that you love one another. It's a challenge to hold those two statements in tension with each other. But it's also an intricate lesson in practical love that is the fruits of Christian life. I wonder if anybody remembers the movie Arthur. 1981, Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli. Arthur's a happy drunk with no pretension of any ambition. He's also an heir to a vast fortune, which he is told will only be his if he marries Susan. Well, he doesn't love Susan, but that's okay. And then, as a result of a chance encounter, he falls in love. A feeling that he cannot describe. At one scene, he confronts a complete stranger and says, How can you tell if you're in love? Does it make you feel funny? Does it make you whistle all the time? The stranger, unimpressed with the joy of new love, responded, You could be in love. Then again, you could be getting sick. Arthur's dilemma, though, is typical, and it's even more so in our world. Popular concepts of love are fashioned by Hollywood glitz on one end and internet porn on the other. And what's in the middle? Everything in between. Often we don't even know what we're talking about. I love pizza. I love my kids. In the 60s, the slogan was, make love, not war. Does any of this have any connection to the love that Jesus reveals and then commands in the upper room. In last week's epistle lesson, John wrote, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then a little further on, we loved because he first loved us. We learn to love experiencing the gift of God's Son. The more we know about how God loves, the more we know what love is and how we too can show love. The Father loved the Son, which is really remarkable given all that the economy of salvation entailed, God's plan of salvation. What did it really cost? Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Is that really what a loving father wants for his son? Did God love us, his fallen creation, more than he loved his son? Romans 8 might actually imply that. Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Gave him up. The verb there is actually the same one used of Judas in the garden to betray. Did God love us more? 
Well, it's actually an impossible question, a question we really shouldn't ask because, in effect, we're trying to peer into the inner workings of the Trinity. And when we attempt to bring God into our finite world to make him completely comprehensible, we do both God and us a great disservice. We end up remaking, or attempting to remake anyway, God in our own image and thereby diminish God and sacrifice the sense of awe and reverence that his holiness evokes. What we can say, however, is this. God's love for us is boundless. God gave up his son because it was necessary. Someone like a father sending his son off to war, does he do it because he loves others more than his son? No, of course not. He loves his son dearly, yet he gives him up because he believes it is necessary. Pastor David Mueller described a situation that illustrated that point really well. He was passing through an emergency room in a local hospital, and it all happened very quickly, he writes, but it left a lasting impression. A little boy, maybe five years old, was really badly hurt. And the nurse was taking him through the double door into, the, into a room for, to have a procedure done, and the boy is he's afraid, he's crying, he's struggling in the nurse's arms, and reaching out to his father, he's pleading, Daddy! Daddy! And the father's crying also. But he let his son go. He gave up his son to the nurse because it was necessary. It was the good thing to do. He did it because he loved his son. God gave up his son, not for the sake of his son, but for us. Now, earthly fathers do not define our Heavenly Father, but they do reflect him in many important ways. And in that sense, we ask, how does a father love his son? First of all, he participates in his creation. He shares his physiology with him. He's a chip off the old block. Well, that's obviously not the case in the case of Jesus. Jesus is eternally the second person of the Trinity. Yet the writer of the Hebrews tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. A father loves his son by giving him a name. Paul continues on in Philippians 2, The Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A father loves his son by caring for him. Jesus testifies, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. A father loves his son by meeting his needs. Matthew 26, do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? As the father loved me, John records. But it doesn't describe any feeling in connection to that. And feeling is probably not even the right word to describe the nature of love. Instead, the Bible talks about the close commitment of the father to the son and the son to the father. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And then in verse 37, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. Close commitment, though, is something that we understand as a meaning for love. It's the love that commits to keep a marriage alive, even after the initial luster is tarnished. The commitment to see a difficult pregnancy through. The commitment to stand up to peer pressure and not run with the crowd. Love is the commitment that caused God to give up his son. God so loved the world that he gave. 
Leonard Sweet shares this from a physician's letter. Today I visited an eight-year-old girl dying of cancer. Her body was disfigured by the disease and the treatments she had endured. She was in almost constant pain. As I entered, I was immediately overcome by her suffering. It was so unjust, unfair, unreasonable. Even more overpowering, though, was the presence of her grandmother lying in the bed beside her with her huge body embracing this precious, inhuman suffering. I stood in awe. This was holy ground. The suffering of innocent children is horrifying beyond understanding. I will never forget the great, gentle arms and body of this grandmother. She never spoke while I was there. She was holding and participating in a suffering that she could not relieve. Yet somehow, her silent presence was relieving it. Commitment, not emotion. No words could express the magnitude of her love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus declares. It's certainly not a feeling. Recall Jesus' resolution to the question of who's greatest in the reign of heaven. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus loved us not for his sake, for ours. Commitment, not feeling. Consider the scene in the garden. For three years, Judas had walked beside and worked with Jesus. And here he is, handing over the Son of God. And Jesus calls him friend. He doesn't call him names. He doesn't belittle him. He doesn't call down legions of angels on his head. He calls him friend. And that was not just lip service. So great was Jesus' love that John opens the upper room scene in chapter 13 with these words. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. These things I command you so that you will love one another. That's the kind of commitment that's displayed by the Father to the Son and the Son to the disciples, to you and me. After he washed the disciples' feet, can you even imagine what that must have been like? Jesus said, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Is an interesting aside at our last wink of the monthly gathering of the circuit pastors. We were chatting over lunch about unusual wedding practices we'd experienced in our careers. And this was one of them. A bride and groom washing each other's feet in the middle of the service. To love one another. What does that look like? Well, Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Colossians 3, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you forgive. In his great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes to great lengths describing love. It's patient and kind, does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable, and on and on he goes. And then he ends with these words. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
it sounds like we're going to have to put up with a lot of stuff. And not all of it's going to be feel-good stuff. But love is commitment, not motion. If close commitment towards each other sounds a little frightening, that's okay. It's a big order, especially for our young people this morning. You're going to want to fit in out there. After all, we're only human. But as you go, remember, the love of the Father empowers the Son, empowers all of us to love. We love because he first loved us. Through baptism, each of us has been recreated in his image. As the confirmands will reaffirm their faith, let us also rededicate ourselves, taking to the heart the confession that we make. I believe in God the Father who created me. I believe in the Son who redeemed me. I believe in the Holy Spirit who called and sanctified me. After his resurrection, Jesus walked the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and three times he asked Peter, Do you love me? It must have cut him to the quick, the rooster's crow still ringing in his ears. Three times he had denied, and three times Jesus asked. Yes and yes were his first two answers. The third time he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. The love of the Father of the Son overpowers and empowers. So feed my sheep, Jesus says. Do something. Act it out. Love one another, for I have loved you as the Father loved me. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.